The epistle lesson is taken from Romans chapter 15, verses 4 through 13. Whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord in accord with Jesus or Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs in order and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again it is said, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. And again Isaiah says, the root, of, the root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, in him will the Gentiles hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Holy Gospel appointed for this Sunday is from the Gospel of St. Matthew, the third chapter. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance. For he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn. But the chaff will burn with unquenchable fire. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. This morning we're going to conclude our sermon series, The Real You, Discovering Your Identity in Christ. And the text that we're going to focus our attention on this morning is from John chapter 15, where Jesus says, Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants, 
because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends, for everything that I've learned from my Father I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is our text. Dear friends of Christ, a distraught woman told her pastor, God cannot love me. He'll never forgive me for the horrible thing that I've done. As the pastor listened, the woman went on to explain the horrible thing that she had done. Her baby would not stop crying. And so in a fit of rage, she shook that child over and over again so hard that her son's brain was permanently damaged. Now, as this mother cares for her son, she must live every day of her life with the consequences of her actions. The guilt that she bears is overwhelming. The blame she ascribes to herself leads her to conclude, God cannot possibly love me for what I did. Well, after listening to this woman's story, the pastor took a few moments to gently explain to her the love of God, that God's love does not depend on our past. God's love does not depend on what we've done or not done. God's love is totally and completely undeserved by all people. God receives and forgives all who come to him in repentance, believing in Jesus Christ as their Savior. The pastor explained to this distraught mother that despite the dreadful things she had done in the past, Jesus still considers her his friend. We may not have ever done something as ghastly as this mother, and yet if we ponder our past, we may also have our own reasons to, to conclude there's no way that God can possibly love me. And yet the unfathomable love God has for us leads us to call us his friend. We are friends of Jesus Christ. That's the real me. And that's the real you. By far, the most important friend that we can ever have is Jesus Christ. Many hymns celebrate this truth. Probably even as I speak, the one hymn that's come into your mind is, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. One that comes to my mind is from Casting Crowns, Jesus, Friend of Sinners. There's other hymns. I have found a friend who is all to me, his love is ever true. There's not a friend like the lowly Jesus, no, not one, no, not one. Or the hymn that we just sang, best of all friends. Jesus really is the best of all friends. Jesus is loyal. Jesus is faithful. Jesus watches out for us each and every day. Jesus tolerates our quirks and quirks. Jesus shares his life with us. 
Jesus even laid down his life for us. Which proves that he is the greatest kind of friend that we could ever have. Jesus says in our text, Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. And you are my friends. The Bible says, For the joy that was set before him, our friend endured the cross, despising the shame. What was the joy that was set before our friend that he would even endure the cross for you and me? Well, it was the joy of knowing that his death would allow us to be his friends forever in glory. Now, before we begin to strut our own stuff and become kind of stuffy, haughty, because we think that we belong to the elite posse of somebodies, like groupies following Drake, you know, the Canadian rapper Drake, before we get some kind of uppity-up idea that we're a part of an esteemed clique, let's remember what was said of Jesus' friends. It says in the Bible, the Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, here is this glutton and drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yes, Jesus was known to be a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Jesus even said to Judas, friend, do what you came to do just before Judas betrayed him with a kiss. Yes, let's remember who Jesus' friends were. Fishermen, political insurrectionists, criminals, the poor, the beggars, the lepers, the crippled, the blind, the deaf, women with sordid lifestyles tax collectors, and the like. Being a friend of Jesus is a privilege. But we want to keep the relationship in its proper perspective. D.A. Carson points out that we need to be careful about becoming too chummy in calling Jesus our friend. Because he's like a friend like none other. In the Bible, God the Father and God the Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, call certain people their friends, but no human ever refers to God or Jesus as their friend. It's not really a mutual kind of relationship. The Bible refers to both Abraham and Moses as friends. That they were friends of God. And yet they worshipped God. Jesus calls the disciples his friends. But yet he was still their teacher. And in the words of Thomas, my Lord and my God. When Jesus healed the paralytic, Jesus said to him, Friend, your sins are forgiven. But then we're told that the man picked up his mat and walked home praising God. And although at the Last Supper the Apostle John laid his head on Jesus' breast, years later when John saw Jesus in glory, he fell at his feet as though being a dead man. So being a friend of Jesus is a little different than being a friend with someone else. 
being a friend of Jesus recognizes that he is God and we are the creature. Being a friend of Jesus means that we revere him, that we have a sense of humility that he has even come to us to be a friend. To be his friend means we approach him with a worshipful spirit. Having an attitude like that expressed in one of our friend's parables, you know, Jesus' parable, when he says, but when you are invited, take the lowest place so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place, and then you'll be honored in the presence of all the other guests. So yes, we dare not become too chummy with our friend Jesus, but instead to recognize that it's a privilege to be called his friend. You see, Jesus is our commander-in-chief, and we're the soldiers under his command, and yet he is our friend. Jesus is our king, and we are his ambassadors, and yet he is our friend. Jesus is our master, and we are his servants, his managers of all of his possessions, and yet he is our friend. Jesus is the Lamb of God who was slain for the sins of the whole world, for your sins and mine, so that we are no longer sinners but saints. And yet, he is still our friend. There can be no real equality between God and his creatures, but God in his infinite goodness comes to us in the person of his Son, and he forms a friendship with us. We're Jesus' friends. That's the real you, and that's the real me. And as in any friendship, the relationship needs to be nurtured. Friendships do not thrive by themselves. Somebody, we must invest ourselves in our friends. We invest our time, our energy, our emotions, our commitment into that friendship. Friends talk with each other. Friends meet at coffee shops or taverns with one another. Friends share secrets with one another. Friends share their possessions with one another. And the same is true in our relationship with our friend Jesus Christ. Our friend Jesus says in our text, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I've learned from my father, I've made known to you. Jesus developed friendships with his disciples and in that friendship, he shared himself with them. He gave of himself for them. He even laid down his life for them. But in so doing, he also revealed some secrets to them, if you will. Some secrets about their Heavenly Father. He revealed to them why it was that he had come into this world to befriend them. He revealed to them why it was that he was willing to die on a cross for them and for all the world. And as a result of sharing these intimate secrets with them, he became their friend. And those secrets have been shared with you and me as well through the words of sacred scripture. And so you might say, indeed, you and I are his friends because he has shared his deepest secrets with us to be made known to others. And so we have this relationship with Jesus that needs to be nurtured. Someone has said, if you're not as close to God as you once were, you need not guess who moved. Certainly, Jesus has not moved away from us. Certainly, Jesus has never in his mind thought, I don't want to be her friend or his friend. No. 
Instead, Jesus desires a friendship with all of us now and forever. Even with that woman in that story that I shared with you at the beginning of this message, she felt as though Jesus had moved away from her, that he no longer wanted to be her friend because of something that she had done, and that pastor needed to remind her that, no, Jesus is your friend. Jesus loves you. He's never moved away from you, even when you felt as though he had every reason to do so. Because, you see, Jesus died for her and lives for her and has developed a relationship with her. And what's true for her is true for you and me as well. So we want to develop a relationship with Jesus. We want to nurture that relationship. Well, how might that look in your life as you nurture a friendship with Jesus? Maybe it means being a little bit more of Jesus just being in your life, that he's present with you wherever you are and whatever it is that you're doing, whether at home or at work or at play. Does it maybe mean thinking a little bit more about the kind of things that you're putting into your mind and into your heart, that which you read, that which you watch? And is it consistent with the values of your friend Jesus? Might it be that you do a little bit more surfing through the pages of God's Word instead of surfing on the Internet? Might it mean that you sit down in a quiet moment and you journal all of what your friend Jesus is doing in your life? Might it be that you set a daily appointment, or if not daily, every other day, where you just simply sit down with a cup of tea or coffee or whatever it might be, and you spend some time in Jesus' Word, reading it and then speaking with him in prayer. As Jesus has established a friendship with you and with me, one that he wants to nurture with us, one that he does nurture with us, but in turn we nurture the relationship with him. Calvin and Hobbes, it's a comic that I really like to read over the years, bring them up in my sermons from time to time. I don't think I've shared this one with you yet, this strip, this comic strip, but Calvin and Hobbes are resting their heads on a snow fort with a pile of unused snowballs stacked behind them. And they look bored. And Calvin says, we've been here an hour and nobody's attacked our fort. We don't have enough enemies. That's our problem. And Hobbes says, we're just too darn popular. And Calvin says, yeah, everybody likes us. We're just so great. And Hobbes says, it's true. And then Calvin says, and of course, I'm a genius, so people are naturally drawn to my fiery intellect. Their admonition, their admiration overwhelms their envy. And then Hobbes says, actually, I believe jungle cats are held in higher esteem, whereas one can hardly take a kid out in public. Tigers add panache and savoir-faire to any social occasion. And Calvin says, what do you mean kids can't go out in public? At least kids don't have fleas. And Hobbes says, yeah, that's only because fleas can't stand the way kids smell. And Calvin says, by golly, you're asking for a snowball in the mouth. And Hobbes says, you can't threaten me. I've got snowballs too. And then the next scene, you look and you see that they're whipping snowballs at each other. And then in the last caption, Calvin and Hobbes are laying in, in the snow covered by snowballs. And Hobbes says, you know, maybe we don't need enemies. Calvin says, yeah, best friends are about all that I can take. 
Friendships have high maintenance to them, don't they? Truth be told, we can only be friends to so many people because it can be so taxing, time-consuming. It can take so much of our energy and emotion as we befriend people and are friends to people. But Jesus doesn't have that kind of exhaustion. Jesus is our friend all the time. And he is friends with everybody that he enters into relationship with. And now he sends us out to represent him in the friendships that we have. He talks in our text about, You did not choose me, but I chose you, and I appointed you that you might go and bear fruit. Fruit that will last. You see, Jesus sends us out into the world, into friendships that we have with other people, so that we can bear his fruit, so that we can love them as he loves them, that we can care for them as he cares for them, that we can stand beside them as he stands beside them, that we can actually be his hands and his feet and his eyes and his mouth to the friends that we have in our lives. And as we do that, we are blessed, even as they are blessed. But Jesus also sends us out, if not to be friends, at least to be friendly, to people who are not quite like us. And that can sometimes be very difficult for us because we're quick to judge. Before I mentioned a song by Casting Crowns, Jesus, Friend of Sinners, just quote a few of these verses to you from that song. They remind us some, of some important points about what it means to be a friend to other people. They sing, Oh, Jesus, friend of sinners, open our eyes to the world at our pointing fingers. Let our hearts be led by mercy. Help us reach with open hearts and open doors. Oh, Jesus, friend of sinners, break our heart for what breaks yours. Jesus, friend of sinners, the one who's writing in the sand. Make the righteous turn away and the stones fall from their hands. Help us to remember that we are all the least of thieves. Let the memory of your mercy bring people, your people, to their knees. No one knows what we're, what we're the only one against when we judge the wounded. What if we put down our signs, crossed over the lines, and loved like you did? You love every lost cause. You reach to the outcast. For the leper and the lame, they're the reason that you came. Lord, I was that lost cause, and I was that outcast. But you died for sinners just like me, a grateful leper at your feet. O oh, Jesus, friend of sinners, open our eyes to the world at our pointing fingers. Let our hearts be led by mercy. Help us reach with open hearts and open doors. Oh, Jesus, friend of sinners, break our heart for what breaks yours. Yes, Jesus sends us out. And he sends us out with the acknowledgement that we are first and foremost sinners ourselves. Sinners for whom Christ died. Sinners for whom Christ has come into our life so that he might fill our lives with grace, forgiveness and mercy and compassion. 
And as he befriends us, he sends us out to, yes, be friends to those we count as friends, but he sends us out into a world not to point the finger at them and saying, uh, uh, uh. But instead, maybe to point the finger to Christ and say, what a friend we have in Jesus. And then in mercy, to love and to serve and to share the love and compassion of Christ with people that we would maybe never ever consider to be our friend, but yet who are friends of Jesus Christ and thereby extension are your friends and mine. During the last number of Sundays, we've discussed the real you, discovering your identity in Christ. And we've discovered that we are saints of God. We've discovered that we are God's adopted sons and daughters. We're soldiers of Christ. We're ambassadors for Christ the King. We're managers of the Lord's treasures. We are Jesus' friend. That's who we really are. That's the real you and that's the real me. We need not search any longer for the real you and me. But are you still confused? Are you still confused about who you really are? Are you befuddled about your purpose in life? Well, the next time you become befuddled or confused, then remember the words of your friend Jesus. He is your friend. You belong to him. That's the real you. That's the real me. Amen. And now may the peace of God which surpasses all understanding guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.